We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You're listening to the Bear Report Podcast with Zach Pearson and Aaron Lemming, providing extensive coverage of the Chicago Bears for the Bear Report website. The podcast is powered by Overtime Media. Now, here's Zach and Aaron. Welcome in, Bears fans, to another edition of the Bear Report podcast. We are just two weeks away from the NFL draft, a different draft, a virtual draft. I'm one of your hosts, Zach Pearson. As always, I am joined by co-host Aaron Lemming. Aaron, how are you doing in this uh, quarantine so far? You know, it's uh, it's been interesting. I think we're all kind of in the same boat for the most part. I mean, luckily... Maybe, maybe luckily, I don't know. I mean, I've still been basically going to work, and I don't really work in a building with too many people, so it hasn't been too bad and just kind of breaking up. It's weird. It's like not every day feels the same, but it feels like every week feels the same. But like I said, I'm sure everybody for the most part's in the same position and just kind of waiting everything out, waiting for, you know, better news, essentially. And, you know, I don't know that things will ever be the same again by any means, but at least get back to a, a somewhat new normal and, you know, just not being inside all the time, I guess, you know? Yeah, and if it wasn't, you know, for the NFL news we've had, I think I would have gone crazy by now because it's, like, pretty much the same thing, same routine for me every day. I'm actually, like, losing track of the days. I They're all blending in for me, so it's, like, on Tuesday, sometimes I think it's Saturday, and then, you know, Thursday I think it's a different day. It's crazy, but we do have, you know, just two, just over two more weeks um, – away from the NFL draft, it's going to be so much different this year. It's going to be for the first time it's going to be all virtual. And, you know, there won't be a crowd there. There won't be team representatives there. No draft picks, no Goodell. Instead, it's just going to be like one giant teleconference. Teams are going to have to, like, phone in their um, picks. And I think, you know, the interesting dynamic to me for this is 
usually when you're at, you know, when the teams are at their at their headquarters, so for instance, the Bears are at their headquarters, there's usually 25, 30 people, I'd say, that are kind of in the room between Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy, other coaches, um, scouts, personnel department, things like that. Now it's not even going to be, you know, four or five people in a room. I think pretty much what it's going to be is everyone's going to be at home. Everyone will be doing Zoom or Skype or whatever um, video video platform they're going to use. And then they're going to have to relay that to the NFL. And I think there's going to be some hiccups. And I don't know if this is going to go over as uh, smooth as the NFL thinks. Well, I, you know, there was a report right before we started recording this that the concern right now, the NFL's concern, and more the point, you know, teams and teams – GMs and executives and stuff like that, their biggest concern is that, you know, the, the safety of IT people coming into their house and, and doing what they need to do. And it's, I, you know, being an IT person, that confuses the hell out of me because <clears throat> this really shouldn't be that hard in terms of, okay, of course, you got a situation where you're going to be doing everything remotely. You're going to be doing everything IP-based over the internet. So, I mean, with anything, anytime you're doing anything that has to do with the internet and you're broadcasting stuff out, I mean, there's always going to be a security risk involved. But it just, the whole thing confuses me as to, it's like, this really isn't that hard. And what I've noticed, especially being in the IT world the last five years, is that some of the biggest companies that you would possibly think of actually have the worst IT infrastructure and idea on how IT works. And it's like, you know, these reports coming about how they're worried about people coming into their houses and how safe that could be. It's like, you don't need to do any of that. It's like, all you simply have to do, I mean, it would be as easy as basically emailing everybody some sort of token and doing this, you know, virtually, basically on a VM or you could do a VPN, whatever works. I mean, it's just the the whole thing, and that's kind of what concerns me right now, is it's like, you know, just seeing some of these reports come out, it's like the fact that they're lacking basic IT fundamentals and, and understanding how this is going to work and whatever the plan is. I mean, you can't set up, uh, you know, a, a wide-range network with all these. It just doesn't work that way. This isn't – the infrastructure is not built for that in somebody's home. It's built for that in a business. So I, I think the potential – uh, for things to go wrong in some way, shape, or form, are very high. Um, but unfortunately, when you're, you know, when we're all in the position that we're in right now, I mean, the entire world is, but especially the United States, because of how hard we're getting hit, and you know, we're supposedly reaching apex. We'll see, you know, how close that is. But it's one of those things where, I mean, this, there's no, there's no other way to do this. And and I understand why they don't, you know, why they want basically everybody in their houses doing whatever. But I think in some ways, I think they're kind of overcomplicating this. I mean, the reality is simple. Um, because you're doing this over an unsecured network, because that's the only way that they're going to be able to do something. I mean, you can only secure it so many ways, and that's not truly secure, uh, is, you know, going via Internet. And that's how they're going to have to do this thing. I, I just I think it's at a point right now where you just kind of have to hope that no teams are being stupid and try to, you know, hack into stuff. Or they, you know, try to basically spy on the teams or whatever the, whatever it is. And hopefully from the outside, you don't have idiots that try to come in and, and, and do stuff to sabotage the thing. Uh, in some ways, I like it just because, and no offense, I understand, you know, to some of these people why they have other people announce the picks and all that crap. But, you know, for me... Like, I like the presentation of the draft. I like, um, you know, being able to sit in front of a TV and watch the entire thing and 
Like, I love the draft, but at the same time, like, there's so many theatrics, and especially, you know, it's like, okay, day, you know, night one, whatever, you know, you do the first round, theatrics, you have people doing whatever, they're up on stage announcing picks, then after that, it's like, just cut the crap, man, just cut the crap, you know, stop, stop, you know, auctioning off the picks and having all these contests and doing all these things where people can announce the pick, it's like, just do it, because the problem is, is the draft is so far behind, it's like, what they're what they're presenting on the screen versus how far along the draft actually is. I mean, especially when you're getting into day two and three. I mean, they're usually anywhere from five to ten picks behind. And I mean, that gets old because it's like you might as well just hang out on Twitter and and look for some of these guys to leak the picks. So I think in that way it's going to be nice. But I do think there's a high disaster potential because that's just the nature of being in a virtual world now and especially when you have to do things this way and that's the thing you have to do it i mean there's no other way around it you can't wait this out and then have the draft in what july or august i mean we we don't know how things are going to go so it has to go this way hopefully they'll be prompted in how they do it hopefully they'll get the kinks worked out um, beforehand and i mean in all reality i kind of hope it speeds up the process a little bit because like i said i like watching the draft i like the presentation of it all but at the same time it feels like a lot of it is drug out i feel like a lot of it could be done you know hours faster than what's what it's done right now yeah and to your point i i'm not as worried about other teams hacking um you know databases and stuff like that or or meetings um i'd be more worried about someone from the outside you know like a hacking group or something hacking a uh, a team's uh, draft meeting and and maybe like submitting a player that is just completely off the radar or even someone that's made up something like that. I th- it's going to be odd. I mean, the one thing that people have to understand though is, even though you see like what you described, they you know they have all the big events, they have people announcing the picks. The GMs and coaches are not actually at the draft, so they're calling in and they're wiring in their picks anyway in a normal draft. This is going to be a little more different from the fact that they're, you know, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy are probably not going to be together. Um, You know, from their conference call last Friday, I didn't get the sense that they've actually been together at Hallis Hall. I know the NFL put restrictions on Hallis Hall weeks ago and NFL, um, other NFL places. But my impression was that Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace, like there could have been limited employees at Hallis Hall you know, like the GM, the head coach, things like that. Now everything's just completely shut down. So I don't think they're going to be in the same room together. And from what I kind of took away was they were hoping maybe they could get like kind of like a little conference hall at a hotel or um, a banquet hall or something like that, and they could get their personnel there. I think it's just going to be everyone at a separate house. They're going to have to be on separate calls, things like that. This could be kind of more of the interesting dynamic for me. And the other thing that I'm really intrigued about is these prospect interviews – are fascinating to me because they all have to be done over FaceTime or Skype or Zoom compared to bringing in a guy in. Because when you bring a guy in, you can kind of get their body language. You got to get a feel um, for them as a person while they're touring your facilities. You get the top 30 visits um, each year. You really don't get that this year. This year, you pretty much have to rely on all the homework you've done from scouting college games, scouting the the, the post-college games with like the Senior Bowl, East West Shrine Bowl, and then the combine, because there's very few, if any, prospects that have actually gone to facilities, you know, during um, February before this kind of all blew up, or even early March. There's very few of those out there. And I think, I was kind of actually thinking about this, who do you think that hurts more? Do you think that hurts more, you know, a team like the Raiders, who have a couple first-round picks, the Dolphins have a couple first-round picks, 
Or does that hurt more like a team like the Bears, who doesn't have a first-round pick? They have two second-round picks, but they're going to have to do the majority of their work in the back end of the draft. It was just—it was kind of an interesting thought to me. I don't know if you want to touch on that a little bit, but I, I couldn't really come to a conclusion because I think this is it's just such a unique experience overall that we're just really not used to seeing this. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's definitely a question worth asking. I don't I don't know um, how much this you know or how much more this is going to hurt certainty. I think it's I don't know if it's so much uh, you know where they're placed in the draft and stuff like that more as it is how teams are usually used to doing business. And it's kind of one of those things you, you kind of wonder uh, you know does this put a bigger spotlight on especially scouts you know for let's just say you know teams that have better drafts or they have worse drafts it's like does this put a bigger spotlight on them like if they have worse draft is you know the people kind of get a hall pass for it because of the nature of the beast I don't know but I think that it it really comes down to processes and it comes down to some teams are more analytical so yes they're going to watch film yes they're going to you know go study the player yes they're going to talk to college coaches and stuff like that which they still can do i mean they can do in person but they can still uh you know do different things over the phone i mean that's what they've been doing they've been doing zoom meetings and and uh you know phone calls and skype and all this stuff to to, to meet with players and stuff like that um but i think it's really going to come down not so much where teams are positioned in the draft or how many picks they have but more of how their overall process is versus what it is now because i mean that's really the bigger thing where you know a lot of these teams don't have the opportunity to overthink nearly as much you know it's like you could only i liken it to this right obviously we're normal people we're not about to go into the nfl but you know when you're looking at it from a job interview perspective and i just went through this not too long ago where it's like you can interview for a job in person and the feeling the pressure everything about it is completely different than if you're doing a skype call versus if you're doing a phone call stuff like that there's just there's a different vibe you know so it's one of those things where you know there's obviously you can only learn so much about a player over a video call over a phone call stuff like that and at least to me, I would actually like to see teams that maybe, you know, scout more on traits and film and analytics versus some of the more menial stuff, like some of the stuff that they've been doing, like how crazy they get, some of the stupid questions that they ask some of these players. Like, I think that it's actually going to make, at least in my personal opinion, I think it's going to make for a more organic process. And I also think that you're going to see, uh, maybe not right off the bat, but I think you're going to see some teams that maybe rely more on the, you know, the smaller stuff and the stuff that at least in my mind doesn't really mean as much. I think that you're going to see those teams kind of struggle a little bit. And I think that, you know, you may see a little bit of a, a change of philosophy, whether they know it or not. I mean, obviously we'll probably see some of it during the draft. If teams are making really weird moves and hopefully the bears aren't one of those. Um, but I think you're going to see it kind of later on down the road. And it's just going to be a very, very interesting process. Cause I mean, we know, like we, we know how the draft process works, right? It's, you know, you, you've got all the college film You've got the combine, you've got the pro days, you've got the private workouts, you've got the private meetings, all that crap. And it's like, really, I mean, all pro days, for the most part, were cut out. It's all the private, you know, all the private workouts were cut out. I mean, private meetings have, you know, they're not face-to-face where you're basically locked in a room with a team for X amount of hours and they get to ask you all sorts of weird questions and stuff like that. It's Everything's a little bit more tracked this time around. And I actually, personally, I think that's a pretty cool thing. Um, and I, I think you cut out less of the BS with stuff like that. Hopefully you'll get better evaluations on player for the talent. I understand culture is a thing, but at the same time, 
I think we can all agree that there's been times when the Bears should have probably taken a different player, even if they had a little bit of a questionable past, uh, got the better player versus some of some of the guys that they've ended up with. So, I mean, we'll see. I, I don't know that we'll actually see a giant difference. I mean, I, there may be that one or two teams that were like, what the hell? Uh, the only other level to that, what I would say, is it may be easier for a team like the Bears just because they don't have as many picks, at least on the surface, to where maybe if they don't do as much legwork as they would normally do on a typical draft year, uh, to where maybe they can kind of hone in a little bit more and maybe they have a more calculated plan as to what they're going to do. And, you know, maybe they have a more calculated approach to who they're going to go after or whatever it may be, but... I don't know. We'll see. It's, it's definitely going to be an interesting process from a viewing experience. I'm definitely interested to see, uh, you know, without the theatrics. I thought it would have been really cool in Vegas this year. Obviously, it's not going to happen, but it's it's just going to be a very interesting process. I mean, it can't be any worse than, than some of these, t- you know, TV stations basically broadcasting video games and having announcers, announce, you know, announce over. I, that's probably the weirdest thing I've seen so far. Yeah, it'll be interesting, and I think the the presentation will be kind of unique too because they're gonna have still gonna have the players on video and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> I'm just kind of curious, you know, what are the? I mean, obviously Joe Burrow, you're probably gonna send him Bengals gear. They'll probably, you know, Chase Young will probably get Redskins gear. But when you get to like the five through ten, I wonder how many teams are actually gonna send players gear to like wear, put on the hat during the draft. I don't know. It's it's gonna be kind of wild to see, and I'm sure we'll break it down when it's all done. Uh, at the end of April for our post-draft podcast. But we're going to hit our first break, and then when we get back, we're going to talk a little Bears, um, the latest on the Bears in the news from last week, get you guys all caught up, and then kind of break down our needs on the draft for the Bears. We'll hit our break. We'll be right back after this. The Old West is an iconic period of American history. I'm Chris Wimmer. Join me on the Legends of the Old West podcast to hear the true stories of lawmen like Wyatt Earp, Bass Reeves and the Texas Rangers, outlaws like Jesse James and Butch and Sundance, and Native American battles of the Lakota, Comanche, and Apache. We use cinematic storytelling and sound design to bring these stories and many more to life. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. We're back here on the Bear Report podcast. Uh, we just got done talking a little bit about the NFL draft, which is over ten weeks or over two weeks away. Sorry, not ten weeks. Jeez. Uh, over two weeks away, and uh, as we kind of enter here this draft, we did get to hear from Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy last week. Um, they held a teleconference on Friday uh, for the media, and then Nick Foles also spoke, Robert Quinn spoke, Jimmy Graham was the week before. We'll get to hear from Ryan Pace one more time before the draft starts. Um, but if you scheduled to speak either the Tuesday before the draft or they might go the Thursday before the draft, we don't know just yet. But when they talked, the main focus was obviously on the acquisition of Nick Foles. The Bears trained the fourth-round pick um, to get Foles. And at the time, myself included, I admit it, I hated the trade just because the Bears had to give up the fourth-round pick. I thought, you know, if they were going to take on his whole salary, they should probably get a pick back. However, classic case of wait and see, wait for the numbers to come out. And now that the numbers have come out on Foles' contract – the cap hit is significantly less, and I've come around. I think it's actually a good move. I'll admit I was wrong for criticizing it that quick. Um, I, it, it's now a good move because you're, he's making a lot less money that Chase Daniel made um, last year, and he's essentially making backup money 
when he's going to project to be the week one starter, unless something crazy happens and, and Mitchell Trubisky kind of pulls it out of his ass, you know, it's a good deal. And Ryan Pace once again shows, yeah, you can work around the salary cap. You can get a guy that can contribute like this on a cheap deal. And if this works out and Foles is the guy and the Bears make the playoffs, I think Ryan Pace is going to look like a genius after all of it. it. Yeah, I mean, obviously the numbers coming out tell a little bit different of a story than, you know, on the surface. Now, obviously, I don't think either one of us were a big fan of the move. And now we're kind of seeing it. And I think a lot of it came down to, you know, we're looking at the contract. We're thinking, OK, Foles is going to have little over $50 million cap hit this year. And then it was going to be closer to 20 million the next two years after that. And you're like, why? And it, you know, a lot of it didn't make any sense. And then you had the fourth round pick on top of it. And then I think as, as things have kind of progressed a little bit, there's a few things that have definitely made more sense. Uh, obviously one of those comes down to the fact that realistically, we're probably not going to see any sort of off season program until at least training camp. I mean, we're still too far out. We don't know at this point what's going to go on, but, um, you know, we we at least know that, you know, that this isn't going to be a normal offseason. So it's not like if they were to bring in, you know, an Andy Dalton or somebody else along those lines, a Case Keenum, where they didn't really have any experience in the offense uh, that Matt Nagy is running. Um, you know, it may be a little bit more difficult to have a true quarterback competition like they're claiming that they're going to have. Still don't buy that. I'm sure we'll get into that later. But you look at the you look at the contract and it's like all of a sudden it's like, you know, he's got a little over $5 million cap hit this year. And then he's got, you know, basically it's a little over $9 million cap hit uh, for 2021. And then 2022, obviously there's some escalators in that. Basically the way the contract's going to work is uh, each year he's going to have $6 million in um, performance bonuses and stuff that he can get. And at least according to Brad Biggs, article and he kind of broke it down just to give you an idea, you know, like two and a half million dollars he can get out of that um, if he plays, I think it was like 80% of the snaps and makes it to the playoffs or something like that. I mean, it's just like it's it's stuff like that. But when you start looking at it and then some of them are like really unattainable, you know, it's just, just the way it works. So, I mean, ultimately it would be cool because it's like even if he lands, let's just say three million of that six million, then you're only paying him about eight and a half million. Uh, the other interesting thing about it is let's just say he hits 3 million out of the 6 million and, and bonuses that he could get throughout the year. One that would count against the bears 2020 cap space, the extra 3 million, just hypothetically speaking. But the other thing that's interesting is that if he plays 50% of the snaps and they make it to the NFC championship game, then he can actually opt out of his contract. Now, if you opt out of the contract for 2021, and or 2022, whatever, I mean, depending on what year he did it, then the Bears would actually be off the hook for the remaining uh, $21 million, whatever it would end up being, because he still has $21 million guaranteed on that deal. Uh, the other interesting aspect of that is if he ends up, let's just say he ends up earning $3 million of that um, this year, then automatically, instead of his his expected cap hit that would start at 9.33 million i think is what it was was like 9.5 i don't have the numbers in front of me but let's just say he gets 3 million in in bonuses and stuff this year then all of a sudden the next year his base salary for 2021 and 2022 would actually start off 3 million dollars higher at you know let's just say 12.33 million dollars and then if he earns, you know, more incentive, you know, whatever it is, another $3 million from there, then all of a sudden his cap hit would be $15 million for the last year. Now, I know some people are going to look at that and be like, well, that's kind of, you know, it kind of sucks. But when you really look at it, let's just say 
he ends up winning the job this year, and then he ends up starting at least next year. Then it's like all of a sudden, you know, you've got a situation where at very, very worst, you're probably paying your quote-unquote starting quarterback in, you know, a two-year period, you may be paying him $30 million total. And that's that, that's probably more at a high point. I mean, when you really look at it that way, it's still a really good deal. And what's interesting is Foles was actually the one that kind of had to concede, and he admitted this during his press conference where he basically said if he didn't take the crazy restructure that he did and kind of structured it the way that the Bears needed to be structured, then he wouldn't be with the team right now. And he saw it as kind of a win-win opportunity for him where Gardner Minshew can now – be the starting quarterback, depending on what Jacksonville does. He comes over here. He's going to push Trubisky. Let's be honest. He's probably got a heads up right now because he is familiar with the offense. He's worked with all three offensive coaches that the team brought in, you know, in terms of the actual guys that are going to be running the offense and different things like that. It's like, I mean, he's a veteran. He plays much better when things are on the line. I mean, he, it's one of those situations where it's a, it's a big win for him because the reality of it is if he comes in, he starts, he plays well. They do really well. He can opt out, and then he can go get a big deal or whatever. He can re-up with Bears at higher money and be the starter. Or, you know, worst-case scenario, if things don't pan out, then the Bears have a slightly more expensive backup than they had Chase Daniel, and they have a guy that's familiar with the with the scheme, and there's little, you know, little risk involved with that. So, I mean, either way, it's the contract itself definitely makes a lot more sense. And it's also interesting because even for as much as the Bears have done this offseason, not huge moves – they still have right around $11 million in space when, I mean, this is a team that started off before they started making moves and doing different things, and they barely had over $20 million. Yeah, and it's a good point because there's still the restructures um, left to come out, which could free up some more money here. Uh, yeah, it's interesting because you brought up the point of, you know, Foles essentially having to take the cut in the deal too, uh, which was huge because we didn't really know that until he addressed that at the end of the press conference. And he kind of went back to his familiarity with Matt Nagy. He wanted someone, you know, he wanted a team that had someone he's known throughout his career. And he kept on referencing Doug Peterson in Philadelphia. And now he hopes, you know, to kind of recreate that magic in Chicago with Matt Nagy. And I have to agree with you. I think now, as we stand, I know there's still a lot of offseason stuff to do, whether it happens or not. I mean, if it's right now, I'd have to say Foles probably has the um, the leg up in the competition. Nagy did answer the question of who would go first in the huddle. He answered it would be Trubisky, but he also noted something really interesting. So he said Trubisky would get the snaps coming out of the huddle first. However, both he and Foles would be playing with the same unit on offense, and they'd be going up against the same units on defense, essentially, maybe some minor changes, and they're likely going to get the same reps. So everything that Nagy and Pace are telling us is it's it's going to be a fair competition. They're going to have to do it the right way. I don't know how much we can believe one way or the other if it's going to be fully fair. And I think there's arguments for both sides of this. I think you can lean, you know, with Foles, you can say, well, Nagy's really familiar with him. And, and this, is, this is Nagy's guy who he wants to run this offense. This is the type of quarterback he wants to run this offense. Maybe he has um, – that leg up in this competition maybe be more tailored to him. On the other side, I do think there is an argument to make to Trubisky that he's been in this offense with Matt Nagy the past two years. Um, he's shown in 2018 that he is capable of running the offense despite the struggle he had in 2019. And he's also Ryan Pace's guy who he traded up and passed on Patrick Mahomes or Sean Watson. While I think Pace 
the first step in admitting the mistake was going out and getting Nick Foles. I think there's kind of a little eagle thing there with Pace that maybe he's not fully ready to say goodbye, and maybe he might kind of push for Trubisky to win the job. I think those situations can kind of come in if it's dead even. Um, obviously, if we see one player is um, ahead of the other in training camp and in the preseason, we can make our own conclusions with that. It's obvious. But for now, I mean, I'd say maybe Foles does have the leg up. I'm just more curious to see how this competition is going to go with this limited offseason. You know, there's going to be a lot of video work, and there's going to be a lot of the stuff going through old tape, um, things like that, until we get to training camp. Hopefully we get, uh, you know, OTAs. I don't think it's going to happen, but until training camp, I don't think we're really going to know just yet. Yeah, no, I I agree. And obviously – you know, it's it's just going to take some time to pan out. Um, I just I kind of go back to what quite a few of us have been echoing, where the Bears wouldn't have spent a fourth round pick, and they wouldn't have still okay twenty one million dollars guaranteed, even if it's over three years. I don't think they would have guaranteed somebody that type of money plus trading away a fourth round pick, even if it's a compensatory pick at the back of the fourth round. For a guy that they're just saying, okay, we're going to bring him in and we're going to push him and we're expecting him to be the backup. I just And I don't think that Nick Foles would agree to that. I think there's there's more to the story here. And, you know, the familiarity aspect, and that's the thing. Like, okay, I'm not a huge Nick Foles fan. I don't think Nick Foles is that great of a quarterback. I've said that from the beginning. I still feel that way, and I think that you probably you know would agree, and I think most Bears fans would agree. But at the same time, when you look at it and you say, okay, the guy knows what it takes to start. He knows what it – takes to come off the bench he knows what it takes to be the underdog i mean the reality of it is and you know i'm sure there's gonna be people who disagree with me but i always kind of wondered going back to the off season in 2019 last year whether whether or not the eagles should have tried to keep nick Foles around because let's just be honest man like the eagles were a better team when nick Foles was playing quarterback than what carson wentz has been i mean that's just that's just a fact like they won a super bowl with with nick Foles. Uh, they only made the playoffs in 2018 when they beat the Bears because of Nick Foles. Carson Wentz wasn't really doing that well. And then last year, the only reason they made the playoffs is because Dallas fell straight on their face. Like, And that's not me selling, overselling Nick Foles because, again, I don't think he's that great of a quarterback. But I think that there's a lot of value with knowing the system and kind of goes back to what we are talking about earlier in the offseason, really before everything got started, you know, before, right when the hire started with the offensive coaches. And Matt Nagy's going back to familiarity, right? You've got John D. Filippo, John D. Filippo, who's been there. You've got uh, Bill Lazor, who he's you know he's worked with in some capacity. You got Juan Castillo. Um, you you have familiarity within what Matt Nagy's trying to do right now. And then the same thing follows with Nick Foles. You have familiarity. I mean, just to kind of, and I think a lot of people kind of forget this. And this is a story, you know, two years ago when the Eagles won a Super Bowl. But it's always kind of been something that stuck out in my mind, even through the Bears' interest, is, you know, Nick Foles started with the Eagles, and then at one point he basically he went to the Rams, and I don't know if a lot of people remember this or not, but he failed pretty miserably with the Rams. I actually think that it was the Bears game when Nick Foles got replaced. I want to say it was like the third quarter when the Bears were blowing him out. Uh, it was, what, 2014? The, uh, the Jeff Fisher days. Yeah, it was Jeff Fisher days, right? So Yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, was it Langford had, I think it was Jeremy Langford had like a 90-yard reception or a run or something crazy like that. 
Yeah, it was it was the it was the week before it was a week before they played the Chargers when the Chargers yeah. still playing in San Diego. I think it was actually John Fox's first year because it was the same year. I think yeah, I think it was the first year because it was the same year that uh, that the Bears played the Packers on Thanksgiving, the game that was just on NFL Network, and yep. you know, so and on. they uh, they played the Chiefs too. So it must, yeah, it had to be that same year if they played exactly. The so yeah, that that Chiefs game where uh, was it Jamal Charles that. Towards ACL or what? What happened in that game? There was there was some injury that happened in the. Like, there was, a, yeah, there was an injury. The only thing I really remember from that game, not to get too off topic, but was uh, the Bears had like they were down. It was like sixteen nothing or something like that. Or they were smoked, and then they came back in the last seconds of the game and won it. Yeah, Forte had like a back shoulder touchdown catch or yeah, something. Yeah, like exactly. But so one of but one of the things that really kind of. I, I kind of think about, you know, with, with Nick Foles is this, like, so he, he had some success when it was uh, Chip Kelly would, you know, was the head coach of the Eagles. Right. And then he goes and he goes to the Rams and he fails miserably. And he actually thought about retiring and he ended up basically going to Kansas city and being kind of like the low, the low key, kind of the guy in the back, a back quarterback with the chiefs. And fell in love with football again, right? And he worked with Matt Nagy, he worked with Doug Peterson, he worked with Andy Reid, and then all of a sudden, then when Doug Peterson got his head coaching job, one of the first things that he wanted with Carson Wentz was he wanted Nick Foles to be the backup quarterback. He brings in Nick Foles to be the backup quarterback. Obviously, we all know the story. Carson Wentz tears his ACL, uh, you know, against the Rams, and then all of a sudden the Eagles, which looked like their season was over at that point, they were going to get in the playoffs and get beat in the first round. All of a sudden, next thing you know, the the Eagle led, or more the point, the Nick Foles led Eagles go on to beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And, and again, like I said, it's just one of those things where you really look at it and you see he goes to Kansas City, he starts working, you know, under the you know the Andy Reid tree, and then he goes to, he goes to Philadelphia and he has success and he finds his love for football in Kansas City. He finds some success in, with the Eagles. And then he takes advantage of what he was able to do with the Eagles. And he signs, he parlays that into a good contract with Jacksonville. And frankly, going back and watching some of those games, he really wasn't that bad. Again, nothing special. Uh, I wouldn't even say average, uh, an average quarterback, but he, he wasn't terrible. He really wasn't. I mean, let's just be honest. The Jaguars have been a sinking ship for two years now. I don't know how Doug Marone still has a job, but either way, you know, it, it's one of those things where he found his love for football. He has success, and he has a good foundation in Andy Reid run offenses. And now you're putting him right back in one of those situations where he's familiar with the offense. Some of the terminology is going to be different because even though it's the same, you know, same type of offense, Andy Reid tree, it's still going to be a little bit different. But the, the fact is, is he knows this offense. He knows how to run it, and he's found success in it. And I think that just those comfortable aspects and and knowing the offense and everything else and how comfortable the coaching staff was to trade a fourth round pick and bring him in. It's like, I just, I, I don't know. I, I look at this and I, and I think that, you know, Brad Biggs has said it. And I think a lot of us have, have kind of talked about it and felt the same way. I think that Trubisky's backs against the wall. And, and it's not to say I'm not looking at this quarterback competition. I'm not saying, if, you know, Trubisky, you know, even if he plays well, he's not going to win the job. I ultimately, what I think it is is I think that I think Nick Foles is viewed as the leader because they know what they can get out of Nick Foles. It's not going to be anything spectacular, but let's be honest. They, you know, he's won a Super Bowl before. If you have even a league average offense with the defense that the Bears have, 
pretty good chance that they could do some damage in the playoffs. I'm not going to say they can win a Super Bowl with him, but I think they can at least get back to a 2018-type form versus with Trubisky right now where it's like you just don't know where his head is at. I mean, let's just be honest. He choked under the pressure last year. He choked under the expectations of having to be better and progress to what he, you know, what he was in 2018, take that next step, live up to that number two overall pick, especially with the fact that Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson have done what they did. I mean, just simply put, he just wasn't good. He, whether he crumbled or choked or whatever the hell you want to call it, the fact is, is he was absolutely awful last year. And I think that there's a part of the Bears where they're hoping that they're going to bring in Foles and it's going to help out Trubisky. And Trubisky's all of a sudden everything's going to click for him and he's going to be the guy that they drafted at number two. The thing is, is they're going to they're probably going to decline the fifth year option. That's fine. Okay, decline the fifth year option because the thing is, is if he lights a world on fire and he's your unquestioned starter and and everything, you know, the stars finally align and the Bears finally find their franchise quarterback, you franchise tag him for a year or two. I mean, it's I can tell you right now that Trubisky can't be. He, I don't think he's the smartest kid, the smartest kid in the world. But I can also tell you right now that I don't think that he's dumb enough to to sit there and look at the situation, not be objective, and say I played pretty bad last year and I really haven't lived up to my expectations. I mean, it's pretty obvious why the Bears brought him in competition. And if he somehow gets things figured out, which I don't think is very possible, but if he somehow gets things figured out and he becomes that quarterback, it's like it's not going to be hard to work out a second contract with him. Like I said, he tag him. The tag really versus a fifth year option that's projected to be around twenty four to twenty five million. Uh, for what it would be for Trubisky. Like I said, I think they'll decline it. I mean, the franchise tax is probably going to be $30, $31 million. It just, I mean, tomato, tomato, okay? You pay an extra 5 or $6 million for a player uh, because you weren't sure about him. And, you know, it's kind of like the Kyle Fuller situation. Like, just because you decline a fifth-year option on a player and they step up and become the player that you expected doesn't mean that you still can't retain the player, and especially with the franchise tag, transition tag, whatever. So I think the Bears are hoping for a best-case scenario. I'm still not sold, realistically, that either one of them are really going to be the answer, especially long-term answer at quarterback. But I think that this is probably the best that they could do under the circumstances that they've had, plus the money aspect. I mean, that really didn't hurt them that bad. They're not, they're not paying him. I, I think when you actually look at cap hips, I actually think that they're paying him less uh, in 2020, then they paid Chase Daniel in 2019. So I mean, at worst, he's uh, you know he's a, a decently priced backup quarterback, and at best or whatever, he's he's a guy that you can rely on and that you know. I would say even if Nick Foles was starting quarterback for the Bears last year, I think the Bears would have had a better record. I think they'd have been probably nine and nine and seven, ten and six. And the reality is, is that there's another playoff team being out of the mix. There's seven playoff teams. Like, the Bears have that much more of a chance to even get in this wild card. You just get in the playoffs and see what happens. Yeah, and Trubisky obviously taking that big step backwards last season. And I think, in my mind, it ultimately cost the Bears a shot at the playoffs. And, and to point with Kyle Fuller, I mean, that's a perfect example because it's worked out pretty damn well for the Bears with Kyle Fuller emerging as one of the top cornerbacks in his division and the NFC. So, yeah, I mean, we'll have to see. I, I think, you know, like we said earlier, the Foles deal now makes more sense. It looks a lot better than what you and I saw originally and what we talked about twice now on the podcast before this. It looks a lot better. I'm fine with it. I agree. I don't think Foles is a guy that's going to come in and, and light up the NFL and, and put up big numbers and have a Super Bowl campaign or anything like that. He's just got to be good enough to run the offense better than what Trubisky did last year hit the open receivers, and let your defense go out there and dominate. And I think that would be a good recipe if the Bears can get that. Also, you got to add in a running game, but that's a whole other story for another time. Uh, the other thing 
I kind of found um, a little bit interesting about Foles is he kind of, you know, is really embracing this competition and he seemed really humble on the phone. He said he t- reached out to Trubisky right away when he was acquired and they're kind of acquired and they're kind of taking it as like a, what's best for the team. They're both ready to embrace the competition. They're both ready to, to compete and, and be the best that they can be to help this Bears organization because in the end, that's obviously what matters. Let's hit our second break. We'll come back and uh, talk a little bit more about those press conferences and then wrap things up after that. We'll be right back after this. We're back here on the Bear Report podcast. Uh, yeah, Aaron, so in addition to talking to Foles and, and Ryan Pace and Matt Nagel, we also got to hear from um, you know Jimmy Graham a week before that. And you know, circling back to Friday, Jimmy Graham was a topic from Ryan Pace. It kind of you know asked him why you bring him in, all this, and and the Bears are hoping to maximize Jimmy Graham's talent. I think that was the exact quote that um, Ryan Pace had. And looking back the last two years, Jimmy Graham just was not good with the Green Bay Packers. Whether it was injuries that were kind of bothering him, uh, how he was using that offense, kind of maybe a, a variety of things. The Bears, in my eyes, they're hoping they get the Jimmy Graham that was a star in Seattle and a star in New Orleans um, that can really stretch the field, be a big target in this offense. Something the Bears don't have at tight end right now. Adam Shaheen's days are probably numbered. Uh, we don't know what's going to go on with Trey Burton. I think anything you get from him this season is a bonus. And l- let's be real here. Jimmy Graham is not a good blocking tight end. Um, never really has been in his career. You've seen the videos that have kind of surfaced on Twitter. A couple former players calling him out. I don't think he has to be a great blocking tight end in this offense to succeed. And, you know, I wasn't happy with the money that they gave him. He's on the roster. There's nothing you or I can do about it now. I don't know how confident I am in the Bears maximizing Jimmy Graham's talent. I still think um, they should probably go after a tight end in this draft. And I think they should probably go day three since it's a relatively weak class. I mean, you can find a project. However, I am curious to see what maximizing that talent uh, looks like in this offense. Yeah, I think it it's going to be interesting. Because um, like you pointed out, I mean, outside of size, I mean, Jimmy Graham and, and – I mean, really, if you go down and you really break down the tight ends on the roster, they got 10 tight ends on the roster right now, right? And you got you got Trey Burton and Jimmy Graham are kind of like the big money makers. I mean, they're basically making, you know, at least, you know, in terms of guaranteed stuff like that, just whatever. I mean, they're they're making virtually the same type of money right now. Um, but you really, you look at it and you say, okay, you know, you've got those two that are playing basically the same role. Neither one of those guys can block. Ben Broniker is kind of the same thing. He can't really block. Jesper Horstead really can't block. Uh, you know, Adam Shaheen, God only knows about that guy. I don't even know what the hell he can actually do that's productive for the team. I don't think he's going to be on the team. Um, you know, so it's like you got you have, a, you have at least three players that you're paying decent money to that all kind of have the same job. And the problem is, is obviously Jimmy Graham's not going anywhere because they just signed him. Ben Broniker, you could save, I think it was like a million and a half, maybe close to two million by cutting him. And then Trey Burton, it you you lose more money than you save on him unless they somehow find a way to trade him. I think that Trey Burton is still a better player if he's healthy, just at these points in their careers. But I think that you don't go off and spend, you know, you don't guarantee Jimmy Graham nine million dollars over two years and don't have a role plan for him in the offense. And like I said, neither him or Burton can block. They've talked up Graham quite a bit. I don't know if maybe Burton will be some sort of like draft day trade or 
maybe he'll be, you know, one of those dumps that we see at the very end of camp and preseason right before the season when they're trying to clear guys off the roster. I don't know, but I do think that it's the, the Bears have made it very clear in what they've given him money-wise and the way that they've talked about him that he's clearly going to be a decent part of the offense. Now, I don't think Jimmy Graham's bad. I just don't really understand why they gave him the money that they did. I don't know why. He, I mean, they, let's just put it this way. They clearly jumped the gun uh, on his market. I mean, giving the guy $8 million a year on average for any contract with what how he's been the last few years doesn't make any sense, especially when you see what Eric Ebron and some of those guys got. Okay, we're past that. We beat the dead horse on that one. With that being said, I mean, he's still got some value. I mean, he's still a reliable pass catcher. He's still reliable in the health department. Uh, you know, he doesn't have the speed or the athleticism that he once did. He's not the Jimmy Graham in the New Orleans days and the in the Seahawks days and stuff like that. But, I mean, he's still he's still a valuable player in this offense. And I think the big thing is, is, you know, having, you know, even I wouldn't say it's an insurance policy with Trey Burton, but at least having another guy to where you're not getting into week 13, 14, 15, and you're playing dudes that were on the practice squad or weren't even on the roster – uh, is definitely going to be a plus. I think he's going to be a decent part of the offense, but I mean, they got so many. I mean, they got enough weapons right now where you look at it and it's like they need, and I guess that's another point with all this is they need a pass catching tight end because, you know, we look at how bad Tariq Cohen was last year. And I think, you know, a lot of people kind of wondered, you know, is he long for this team, stuff like that after this next year when his, when his rookie contract expires. But a big reason why Tariq Cohen was not not successful in this offense because they didn't have a threat at tight end for the majority of the year. I mean, Trey Burton was never the same, never the same player. Adam Shaheen was never useful. Uh, ben Broniker is Ben Broniker. So if you have one or two options at tight end that actually present as pass catching options, especially a guy like Jimmy Graham, all of a sudden you're opening up a whole another element to the offense, you know, and, and that's big for Tariq Cohen. I mean, that's where a lot of his value is as a pass catcher in the slot, uh, coming out of the backfield, doing the different things that he does and kind of using him as that weapon. Hopefully they'll use Patterson in, in, a, in a very similar uh, role as well. And it's, I think that having that pass catching tight end and having options at the tight end position is very key for this offense, and I think that I think that's one of the main reasons why they went out again and spent even more resources. And like you said, I mean, they could theoretically they could draft another tight end. I mean, they got ten on the roster right now. I don't think a lot of these guys are locked in for the most part. I mean, they could go out and and you know spend a draft pick on one. I would, depending on how things play out, I would caution against it. I really hate seeing – I won't lie. I really hate seeing a tight end. Anybody mock a tight end in the Bears in the second round because this is not a good draft class. I mean, I know a lot of people were high on uh, Bryson Hopkins. I mean, I've seen, I've seen prospect rankings and mock drafts with him going anywhere from, like, the bottom half of the second round all the way into, like, the fifth or sixth round. I just don't think this is the year that you take – this isn't the year that you take a tight end. This isn't the year that you gamble. If you're gonna if you're gonna gamble on a skill position at this point, if you're gonna say, hey, I'm gonna use a high pick on a skill position, you 100% go receiver. This is one of the deepest receiver classes, at least on paper, we've seen in a while, with a lot, and I mean a lot of versatility. I mean, you got guys that go up and get it. You got guys that go up and get it with speed. You got guys with speed. I mean, there's just all sorts of route running technicians. There's all sorts of guys out there that would fit the Bears' need. I think the Bears need somebody who can stretch the field, personally. We'll get more into that probably within the next few podcasts. But point being is, if it's me, I am not drafting a tight end. I just, you know, okay, if Hawkins or somebody of remote values there in the fifth or sixth round, okay, maybe. 
But the Bears have a lot of other needs, and they got a lot of bodies that tied in. They got quite a bit of investment already tied up in the tight end position. I think you take another swing at the tight end position next year and not try to force things any more than you already have this year. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I wouldn't draft a tight end in the second round. I think with a deep wide receiver class, you can probably get a good burner uh, receiver on with one of those uh, two second round picks or even on day three if you wait. Um, you could probably get an impact player at the edge, maybe a cornerback um, in the second round or even if one of the guards falls to you in the second round. This tight end class is, is, is just it's just so weak. I think there's going to be maybe one fringe pros, first-round prospect in Cole Komet out of Notre Dame. Um, I'm with you. I've seen Hopkins mocked early second round to you know four, fifth, sixth round, too. The thing about Hopkins is now the Bears have met with him three times um, doing the Senior Bowl, doing the NFL Scouting Combine, and then over the uh, video chat. So obviously the interest is there for the Bears with him. I would just, I think, you know, second round is a little too high for him, especially when, you know, it's not clear that he's head and shoulders above everyone else in this class. So I do think he's probably the second or third best tight end. But like we're saying, that's not really saying much this season. Um, it's just not a good year for tight ends. And when you can add some playmakers and some impact guys right away in the second round, I would kind of go for a different position. As for what the Bears tight end current situation is now, yeah, I, I think they're going to find a way to kind of narrow this down. They had six tight ends play last season. It uh, feels like they have 10 or 11 tight ends on the roster right now. I don't think Adam Shaheen's going to be back. I thought they'll, they'll get rid of him soon. Uh, Trey Burton's a wild card. I could see him being traded. I could see him being on this roster. But I think we're going to see a lot more Demetrius Harris in the blocking role and Jimmy Graham as a pass catcher more than we think. Um, and to be honest... You know, if they do produce more than what the Bears had last season, that's not always saying much because the Bears were just dreadful at tight end last season. So we'll have to see how kind of that all plays out. Let's hit our final break of the show. Um, we'll quickly go over our needs as it stands now for the Bears in the draft, and we'll wrap things up here on the Bear Report podcast. We'll be right back after this. And now that the dust is kind of settled here in the free agency period, Aaron, um, we kind of got an idea of maybe what the Bears might want to do in the draft um, in two weeks. They addressed a couple key positions, but there's still some big needs in my eyes. You've written about this on the Bear Report, uh, covering both offense and defense. So if anyone hasn't read that yet, make sure you go read it. Um, but I kind of want to give our listeners here some insight on what we think our top positions are on both sides of football. Uh, we'll, we'll start with offense quickly. I'll go first. I think the main thing on offense um, right now going into the draft, I want to see another receiver, uh, particularly a speed receiver that can kind of stretch the field, um, stretch the defense there, and give whoever's quarterback another playmaker. After that, I'd like to go offensive guard, maybe another tackle, depending on where the Bears are at, come pick number 50 in the second round and who's on the board. And then uh, the final of my three biggest needs on offense, I want to see another running back um, added to this room. I, I'm not confident in Nall being the third guy. I don't know if the Bears should go with maybe another gadget back, similar to Tariq Cohen, or another kind of bruiser back, or maybe even a speed back. But I think there's going to be some options on day three. Uh, we'll talk about our favorite prospects and stuff, but I like a guy – um, the Michael P. Ryan out of Florida, a guy who can catch the football out of the backfield, has good speed, um, 
kind of an underrated back who should be available on day three. What are kind of your top needs on offense? Well, I'll definitely agree. Well, I mean, really, for the most part, I think I pretty well agree. Uh, receiver is a big one. I, I think I don't think that people should underrate losing. You know, they cut Taylor Gabriel. I get that, but I mean, I'm sorry, I, I don't understand the hype with Javon Williams. We saw him last year. The dude's just not very good. I, I I'm sorry, he's just not. And I'm higher on Riley Ridley the most, and I think he has a higher ceiling. But at this point, he hasn't shown you anything either. I think. If you're trying to improve the offense, which should have been the primary goal into this offseason, obviously quarterback, you start at quarterback, but it's like you got to add more weapons. And I think receiver, like you said, speed threat, uh, KJ Hamler is one guy that makes a ton of sense. Uh, I mean, the, but the thing is, is there's so many different receivers out there. Chenault is another guy that's that could make some sense. He's had some injury issues. Uh, uh, Rager's out there. I mean, there's so many options for the Bears in that second round where they could go 43 or 50 and get a pretty damn good receiver that fits in. That I think you can kind of plug and play. Uh, the second need, and I know a lot of people are probably going to disagree with receiver being the first one. The second need would be, you know, another offensive lineman, whether that's offensive tackle, uh, offensive guard. I'm not as uncomfortable with the guard situation as most are. I think obviously if you can get like a like a Cesar Ruiz in the uh, in the second round, or you know, one of the LSU guys, uh, Cushionberry, something like that. Okay, cool. Like, do it. But I don't know how realistic either one of those guys are. Uh, but I do think that another interesting development would be offensive tackle because you look at it and you say, okay, you got right tackle, you got left tackle, you know, with, with Leno and Massey. Those guys are locked in. But at the same time, it's like you can release out of both of those deals next year. Um, and, I mean, tackle needs improvement. And what better way to do that than one of the deeper top, you know, at least a top part of the class – with offensive tackle than going with a guy that you can basically, you know, have a decent pick at and then develop the guy and you have your swing tackle. And, you know, if you need to use them at guard or interior, then you can do that too. But I think developing, you know, that offensive tackle would make some sense. Uh, and then, I mean, really those are kind of, I guess you can kind of go one, two and three because I mean, a tight end could, I don't know. I just don't know that tight end is really that big of a need just because of it's, it's a need for the long term. But I think when you look at it, and you look at just how bad the class is, and then on top of it, then you just kind of look at what they've already got in terms of investment and stuff like that. It's like, I mean, it's going to be really hard for them because I would guess that they probably care four tight ends on the roster. Uh, it's going to be really hard for them to pare that down anyway because if you say Trey Burton's on the roster, assuming he's not traded, Jimmy Graham's on the roster, Demetrius Harris is on the roster, and then probably one of Broniker, Shaheen, or you know one of the blockers, maybe uh, uh, J.P. Holt, somebody like that, it's like you're already – really kind of working to pare down that I, I just don't think throwing a resource in this battle class makes a lot of sense. So those would kind of be that that's kind of my outlook on offense right now. But I do think I will say this, that at least one of those, one of those picks in the second round needs to go towards offense, if not both. Yeah, I agree with you too. And I think uh, like, you know, like we mentioned before the weak the weak or the weak tight end class had a strong wide receiver class should benefit the Bears because I think there'll be some good wide receivers there um, in the second round. And I'm also a big fan of Reeds too. If he falls to that four, to that uh, 43 in the second round, I think that's kind of one of those picks you run up to the – well, metaphorically speaking, you run up to the podium to uh, to get it in, to, to draft him. Uh, flipping over to the defensive side of the football, Bears just still do have some depth needs um, right now, one starter need in my eyes. I'm going to go with safety as my top – um, need on defense. I still think you need to get a guy 
um, in there that could start at strong safety. Maybe not this year right away. Maybe he kind of comes in midseason starts. Um, I'd just like another safety, a true strong safety, to kind of let Eddie Jackson, you know, free up in the middle of the field and play out there and kind of do what he does best, what we saw his first two seasons with the Bears, compared to what we saw last season where he kind of struggled having to play up in the box due to HaHa Clinton Dix not being able to play a traditional strong safety spot. Um, the other need I have, I'd go edge rusher, just some depth behind um, Robert Quinn and, and Khalil Mack. I'm not fully sold on the guys they have back there, Isaiah Irving, as depth right now. Um, I think you kind of get a young guy and you know, bring him in and groom. And, and by adding Robert Quinn, if you draft a guy, now they're learning behind Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn, two of the more premier pass rushers in this league. That's a good thing, good thing to have. And I'd go a defensive back as my third need. Um, you're going to have to look opposite of Kyle Fuller. There's going to be a battle there for the starting spot. Maybe get a rookie in the mix. And I think if you can find someone, a player that maybe falls that second round, um, you know, looking at defensive back, you might be able to find a potential starter there at number 43. Um, if not, maybe look on day three for a defensive back. Yeah, see, I look at it and I'm, I'm kind of similar. I think uh, when you look at needs defensively, um, defensive back, I'm just going to say defensive back, is going to be the primary one for me, right? Uh, I think, and this is my thought process, right? I think one way or another, whether that is, there's still a decent amount of safety veterans out there, uh, free agent veteran safeties out there. Uh, when you look at it, at least me, I'm looking at it and I say, okay, you've got two question marks in the secondary right now. The front seven has improved, but you got two questions in the secondary. And when I'm looking at it, I'm weighing, I'm weighing the competition aspects here. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Deion Bush anyway. I'm not really overly comfortable with him starting. I mean, it is what it is if he does, and I know Chuck Pagano likes him. Uh, but then you look at corner, and it's like you at least got legitimate competition there, right? Maybe you don't have like a you know anything overly proven, but you got Tolliver there, you got Roberson, and then you also have Artie Burns. I mean, you got three dudes that should be able to. You should be able to find one at least average starter out of that group, and hopefully you know something better. But you look at safety, and it's like. Jordan Lucas, uh, DeAndre Houston Carson. I mean, those dudes are special teamers. Like that, they ain't pushing anybody. They're not going to start. I mean, unless Jordan Lucas is a hell of a lot better than I thought he was in San, in, sorry, in Kansas City. I mean, he really didn't play that much defensive snaps. So, I'm going to go with safety as well. Uh, I think that this is actually a pretty solid, not great, but I think it's for the Bears' needs. I think this is a pretty solid safety class. Uh, somebody like Winfield can make some sense. Uh, Jeremy Chen's a little bit, at least in my opinion, um, haven't watched a ton of him, but just in terms of looking at him being a small school guy worries me a little bit. Uh, Grant Delpit's another guy that can make some sense. I mean, there's some, there's some options there. Um, so I'd say that defensive back, namely safety would be my first one. Uh, my only other real big one, cause I think the defensive line is pretty, pretty damn good. I think it actually may be one of the best in the league when you're looking in that starters and overall depth. Uh, my second one is going to be edge rusher as well. And here's my thought process is we saw last year, even when they had Leonard Floyd and Khalil Mack, you still need a rotational piece that's going to be better than what they have right now, which is Isaiah Irving and Barkevius Migo. Neither one of those guys are pass rushers. Isaiah Irving didn't even have a sack last year. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. I mean, the, the Bears, the Bears third edge rusher position, because you can't count Aaron Lynch because he played on the defensive line most of the time. Their third edge rusher position produced zero sacks last year. That can't happen. Right now, you got Mingo and Irving. I mean, those guys aren't pass rushers. They're they're solid depth to have as your third or sorry, your fourth outside linebacker. And, and Mingo could play special teams at a pretty high rate. 
or high level. But outside of that, it's like they need another edge rusher. And you also look at it and you say, okay, you know, Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn, they're still, I'd say, probably in the primes of their career right now, but they're going to be out of their prime within the next few years. It's like you would want to get some sort of rotational guy, not only to have that depth there, but you also want the rotation so that way, you know, you're not having Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn play 90, 95% of the snaps. You don't want to see that. You want to see a healthy rotation. You want to see these guys healthy not only for the beginning of the season, the middle of the season, but the end of the season and hopefully playoffs. So I think that outside linebacker is probably one of those underrated needs for this team right now where, you know, you don't have to go out and get a world beater, and I don't know how they would do it. But I do think that adding, you know, an edge rusher at some point with a higher ceiling than somebody like Kylie Fitz a few years ago when they took him in the sixth round, uh, I do think that that would make a lot of sense for them because, unfortunately, signing one is just not really – I mean, Marcus Gold's out there. There's still a few names out there. But, I mean, overall, it's like, you know, signing one's probably not in the cards, and you're probably not going to find a guy that's going to be cool with being the known, uh, you know, third guy, you know, the first guy off the bench. So, yeah, those would be my names. Like I said, inside linebacker, okay, add some depth there. Uh, defensive line, I don't even think you got to touch the defensive line, maybe add a name or two as far as an undrafted free agent or maybe a veteran free agent. But, uh, I mean, the defense is pretty well squared away, except for depth at outside linebacker. And then I think you've got to have one starter between uh, that corner two position and that strong safety position to really kind of make me feel a little bit more comfortable on the back end. Yeah, it kind of sounds like we're on the same page with uh, both offense and defense. And like we said, we're going to be talking about that in the two coming weeks here. Um, ahead of the draft, we'll kind of break down some prospects we like, um, what we think the Bears should do, and maybe we'll even uh, – Make a couple of mock selections and and uh, maybe some surprises on the way. But also make sure to listen to the Picks for Pace podcast hosted on the Bearport. They do a great job. They have a weekly podcast breaking down prospects at every position. Um, they do a fantastic job. I can't recommend it enough. Aaron, I think that's it for us this week. Uh, we'll be back next week with another show, inching closer to the draft. And then uh, the week before or the week during the draft should be an exciting one. Thank God it's going to be televised. I'll be uh, caved up here in my place watching it every, every single night. So thankfully we'll have some football at least uh, to entertain us. But after that, it looks like we won't have football for uh, a long time there. Yeah, it's uh, things are really going to have to this draft, man. Things are really going to slow down. Um, I mean, it's going to be unfortunate, but that, that distraction for, I mean, for better or for worse, man, that distraction of football is definitely going to go away, and then we're just going to be kind of a wait and see. So, but at least we got a few more weeks of draft talk, and then we can kind of you know assess the roster and you know see what undrafted free agent signings they make, and you know all the other fun stuff. So we got a few more weeks of fun before things really die down. And I mean, to be completely realistic about it, it's like there's really not a whole lot that goes on anyway, regardless if there's a uh, pandemic or not going on. So I mean, these these next few months after the draft are always the slowest. Yeah, exactly. Let's hope this all gets cleared up and we can resume for some football activities, hopefully in July. But uh, we'll see. Aaron, where can everyone follow you on Twitter at? Yeah, you can find me at Aaron Lemming NFL, and you can read my work on thebearreport.com. As Zach said, I got uh, I think I had my defensive needs piece up last week, and then offensive needs, or vice versa. I think it might have been offensive and then defensive this week. But either way, uh, you can get my thoughts on where I think the Bears roster stands and what they need. Yes, just highly recommend you guys read that. It was very well done. Um, you can follow the Bear Report on Twitter at, at Bear Report. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Zach, Z-A-C-K underscore Pearson. 
can read both of our work on the Bear Report. Please rate, review, subscribe on all major podcasting platforms. And we'll be back again to do this next week, um, right before the draft. So everyone take care, and we'll uh, talk to you then. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not ready hour foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.